You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's version of America's Web Radio. The program is Healthcare Insight, and I am Ron Bachman. Well, regular listeners of this program know that we haven't been talking directly around health care or health insurance these days. We've been talking more about the health of the country, the health of our economic system, the health of our foreign policy system. And today I want to continue with that theme and talk about what is front and center in today's news, and that is the infrastructure bills. For many out there, it gets very confusing because there are two bills that are both referred to in the media and the press and on TV as infrastructure bills. Well, the first one is roughly $1.2 trillion, and it is designed to be infrastructure in the way you and I probably think about infrastructure, that is for roads and bridges and the actual infrastructure that you and I think about, the hard uh, parts of our country that help us get around airports and such. And there are a lot of people who say that that's not really um, all infrastructure, that there's a lot of boondoggle spending in that $1.2 trillion. But in general, I think the media has portrayed it as all infrastructure. Democrats and their media um, sycophants out there have, have sort of put that, I think, in most people's minds that it is a true infrastructure bill, when the reality is it's, it's not. And then there's a um, a $3.5 trillion human infrastructure, which is just changing the name of all the boondoggles that every Democrat wants to do from, um, from global warming uh, issues to paying off all the liberal groups out there that can get money to help with uh, immigration issues. Uh, with um, uh, union issues, all the stuff that the Democrats would love to pack into a bill. And they couch it in terms of this can be expansion of Medicare and Medicaid and preschool and free college, creating basically a, a socialist system of this country. And the reality is that both bills are lying about the actual cost. The $3.5 trillion bill, for example, does a lot of accounting tricks that are only allowed legally in Washington, D.C. They'll uh, look at the cost over 10 years as a simple example. Um, all bills are sort of measured in terms of their cost over 10 years, and they say that's $3.5 trillion. But what they don't tell you is that some of these major bills um, don't start until, say, 2028. So there's only a few years of actual cost, but once it's in place, the ongoing costs are every year forever thereafter. So the actual cost when we get after the 10-year period of time for the subsequent 10-year period is dramatically greater. So it's probably, if you were to um, put all those dollars in the first 10 years, it's probably more than $5 trillion. And our whole budget used to be only about $3 trillion. So it's an enormous increase in cost. But even the $1.2 trillion has, while it is a bipartisan bill, the Senate passed it on a bipartisan basis, it's not something all Republicans uh, really got behind. For those of you keeping up with current politics and uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C., 
the progressive Marxist, socialist, Democrats, whatever you want to call them, in the House have taken the bill from this bipartisan bill from the Senate and normally would vote on it. But the progressives don't want to vote on this bill. It would probably pass if there was a, a good vote and uh, Republicans who would be in favor of in the House would would offset those Democrats who don't want to pass it. But um, there's significant Democratic um, resistance to passing this bill until the bigger $3.5 trillion bill is passed by the Senate. So there's infighting on the Democrats that are keeping both of these bills uh, hostage, if you will. Now, both of these bills would add at least $4.7 trillion and more like $6.2 trillion after we've already spent over $3 trillion during the pandemic trying to keep the economy alive while everything was shut down. So we're talking in total $10 trillion being spent in the last couple of years if both of these bills pass. So the Democrats are kind of infighting and keeping this $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill. But again, there's a lot of Republicans who really didn't like this in the Senate and didn't vote for it. And I want to talk about the reasons why even this bill, if it doesn't pass, would probably be a good thing. So let's hear from one of my favorite senators, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, a Republican, of course. Now, Senator John Kennedy is quite a character. He's got a great Southern accent, being from Louisiana. He's very colorful. And actually, he reminds me a lot, for those of you who are old enough to remember back in the 1970s, I know that's a small part of this audience, uh, there was a fellow named Sam Irwin from North Carolina who had that sort of Southern Carolina drawl to him, and he liked to portray himself as just a good old Southern lawyer, um, almost like he was not very smart. Because actually most people up north, when they hear a Southern accent, don't think people are very smart just because of their accent. Well, John Kennedy is much like that. He is a smart, smart guy, and he presents very colorful language, his opinions. And so I want and he was one who voted against that $1.2 trillion bill. So I'd like to ask him now, why were you against that $1.2 trillion bill? And what are the problems with it? I want to explain why I voted no on the infrastructure bill. The, uh, the infrastructure bill will cost American taxpayers about $1.2 trillion, $550 billion in new spending. Um, it was put together by a handful of Republican and Democratic senators uh, in private. There were no public hearings. The bill's 2,700 pages long. It's twice as long as the Bible. We were given uh, only a few days to read it. If you talk to senators privately, 99 out of 100 will tell you they haven't read it and the other one's lying. Um, this is not an infrastructure bill. It's an infrastructure, Green New Deal, and welfare bill. Well, let me jump in, Senator. So what you're saying is the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill is not really all about infrastructure, only a small portion of it. So how do you define infrastructure? I, I define infrastructure, I think, like most people, roads, bridges, ports, and the like. A 
According to the Wall Street Journal, and according to my math, only 23% of the new spending in this bill is for infrastructure. Senator, I understand that. And the other issue that comes up in this bill is that it is completely paid for with taxes, I suppose, only on the rich is the way it's being proposed or um, the way it's being described in the media and by Democratic politicians. So why did you vote against this uh, on the cost uh, aspects? I voted no on this bill because we were told that the bill would be paid for, and that's just not accurate. According to the Congressional Budget Office, uh, which is nonpartisan, only about half of the bill is paid for. The rest of the money we have to borrow, about $256 billion. $256 billion is more than the entire gross domestic product of Louisiana. And and some folks, like the uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, say we're going to have to borrow $400 billion. You know, Senator Kennedy, I've been around Washington enough to know how these bills work. They put a lot of extra money into each and every state, including Republican states like yours in Louisiana, in order to basically buy your vote. So you can go home and tell people in your state, yeah, out of this bill, I got so much money. What's the dynamics in this bill relative, for example, to your state? You're a very open and honest guy. How has this worked in this bill, and how have they described it benefiting Louisiana? It's been said that Louisiana will receive $6 billion in new money from this bill for infrastructure. Um, That's not accurate. We would have received $4.8 billion anyway from the Federal Highway Trust Fund, which is funded from federal gasoline taxes. In other words, of the $6 billion, we would have received $4.8 billion anyway, whether the bill passed or not. Um, More accurately, Louisiana is only going to receive about $1.1 billion in new money over 10 years. That's about $110 million a year. Normally, from the Federal Highway Trust Fund, we uh, we receive about $750 million every year. So if we're going to get $110 million extra, that's about 15% extra we're going to get from the bill. Well, Senator, I know that in the big $3.5 trillion bill, there's a lot of money for the Green New Deal. Is there some money for the Green New Deal in this smaller $1.2 trillion? I hate to call it smaller, $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill? I voted against the infrastructure bill because it gives $73 billion to apply the new, the new, or rather the Green New Deal to our electricity grids. Uh, the proponents of this bill want all states to become like California, which has the highest electricity costs in the Western Hemisphere, certainly in America. Senator Kennedy, I understand how this works in Washington. The boondoggle bills are passed. And who gets to distribute the money here? It's usually the bureaucrats, the executive uh, office um, departments that get to spend this money. Is that what's happening uh, with this bill as well, that there's no real dedication of specific dollars for specific projects or guaranteeing that's for infrastructure, but instead more for however the Biden administration wants to spend it? Um, I voted against this bill because Biden officials are going to get to give out almost all of the bill's non-infrastructure money as grants. That means that the Biden administration has 
almost unfettered discretion. The Biden administration is going to get to pick winners and losers in this bill, and that's just a natural fact. And, I, and frankly, that alone tells you all you need to know about this deal. Senator, I also know that in Washington, many times something that can't normally pass by itself is stuck into bills that there's so much in it that people ultimately will pass it, like what's happened with this bill uh, in the Senate. So give me an example of something that was buried in here that has nothing to do with infrastructure, but was put in so that it could become part of law. Um, I voted against this bill because it, for one of the first times ever, if not the first, recognizes uh, transgender as a protected class, um, like, like race or religion or, uh, or gender. I don't know what that has to do with an infrastructure bill. Senator Kennedy, I appreciate your openness and honesty. I think it's important that everybody out there understand that even though this bill passed and you were against it, and it's likely to pass the House at some point in time, that there are a number of issues in here that people should really object to. And if it doesn't pass, we probably ought to all celebrate for the exact reasons that you just described as to why this bill should never have passed and why you voted against it. Let's take a break and let's come back and talk more about what's going on in Washington that people listening in should really know about what's happening because it's going to affect your lives. We'll be right back after this commercial. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your healthcare freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are talking about what's going on behind the scenes there in Washington What's the wizard doing behind the curtain that's going to affect your life? And very few people stay close enough to the topics or hear these presentations that are affecting your life and your family. And so I want to continue with this very colorful senator from Louisiana, Senator John Kennedy. We just heard him in the first section talking about this infrastructure bill, supposedly bipartisan $1.2 trillion that's hung up in the House of Representatives with the infighting of the Democrats who aren't satisfied with $1.2 trillion. They want another $3.5 to $5 trillion bill passed before they'll even pass the $1.2 trillion bill. Well, a lot of people say that's going to create inflation. So let's go back to Senator John Kennedy and his discussion and his questioning of 
Janet Yellen, the uh, Treasury Secretary, about the whole issue of inflation. Uh, Madam Secretary, when you were here last, and we all look forward to you coming, um, I asked you to tell me what you thought inflation would be at the end of this year, and you told me 2%. Do you still stand by that prediction? Um, Clearly, inflation this year is going to be above 2%. Just the experience so far this year makes that clearly true. But I think we are seeing monthly inflation rates uh, taper off. Yes, ma'am. What do you think it'll be at the end of the year, if not 2%? um, Probably closer to 4%. Boy, I just love Senator Kennedy. He catches people with such simple, direct questions. He doesn't beat around the bush. And there you had it, audience. Inflation isn't going to be around 2%, as they've been saying. It's going to be double that. That's not just a small error. That's a big error in the economic world because higher inflation means higher interest rates, and that has a direct effect on the stock market, on your mortgages, on your credit card interests. All those things have a big impact. So it's double what they thought it was going to be just a few months ago. So these so-called elite experts running our government have been lying to us because they knew and they know now that inflation is much greater, yet we're going to pass bigger spending bills, which will only add to the inflation. Now, I want to turn to the next topic that Senator Kennedy is so adept at trying to get to the truth. And that is the debate that you'll also hear in the media around raising the debt limit. And the Democrats are trying to complain that the Republicans are not going to vote for raising the debt limit when in the past both parties have voted for raising the debt limit. But that's because we haven't had one party in so much control of government. So listen to this exchange between Senator John Kennedy and the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, about the reality of what, in fact, the debate should be about and what the media should be reporting about the debt ceiling and the votes necessary. So instead of blaming Republicans, here's the actual truth as exposed by Senator Kennedy. What party controls the House? The Democrats. What party controls the Senate? Um, The Democrats. I believe we can agree that President Biden is a Democrat. I believe Senator Schumer, who's a Democrat, and my, and my friend, controls the Senate floor. And he can raise the debt ceiling by just amending the budget resolution, can he? It's possible that that could be done. Yes, ma'am. Why don't y'all just do it and then we don't have this fight? Because Why, this- why do you insist on... On, on doing it the hard way. But let me ask you again. There's a real simple solution. Why don't y'all just amend the budget resolution? It just takes 50 votes by my Democratic friends and the vice president. Why don't you just do that? Problem solved. Done. Easy peasy. Finished. Let's go have a cocktail. Well, it, it will be up to the leadership of, of Congress oh, to Well, you're going to recommend that he do on. that? 
we will confer with them on what is the best strategy to move forward. It's not often, I, I haven't been around this place as long as you have. Um, but it's not often around here that we have a, a, a problem that has an easy solution. Okay, so there you have it, folks, listeners out there from this good old country lawyer from Louisiana in his southern drawl. He nailed down one of the smartest economists in Washington, Janet Yellen, head of our Treasury Department, to tell the truth that, in fact, there is no need to talk about default on U.S. government bonds of not paying our debts. Democrats can raise this. But we also know that many times in Washington, when the easy solution like Senator Kennedy is describing isn't taken, that there's another reason for it. And it's usually a political reason. So let's listen to the clear explanation from Senator Kennedy on why the Democrats won't take the easy path, but will use the media to try to blame the Republicans for not raising the debt ceiling when there is no Republican vote needed with the complete Democrat control of the Senate. And I get politics. I understand why politically you folks want to have Republican fingerprints on, on the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the spending fiscal knife. I get that. But do you really, is it, is your politics so important that you want to gamble here on the sovereign debt sure of the United it, it, States when you have a very, very simple solution that you refuse to take. Now, I want the audience here to drill down and listen closely to how Senator Kennedy kind of brings it together and explains the underlying politics around this economic issue that he said has a simple solution. Republicans aren't needed to vote on it. The Democrats have been rushing through bills without Republican support. But in this case, the Democrats have an ulterior motive, and Senator Kennedy just nails it. So listen to this final exchange on this issue. But it's a fact, isn't it, that you just you're, you and your folks just want Republican spend, uh, uh, fingerprints on the Democrats' effort to tax, spend, and regulate America into Europe. Now, it's your prerogative to do that. But this is all about the administration's desire to have Republican fingerprints on it and later call it bipartisan. And you know that, Madam Secretary, with all the respect I can muster, and so do the American people. I just love this Senator Kennedy, his down-home, straightforward ability to get answers and to ask questions that is probably on the minds of everybody there in Washington, but they're afraid to break it down in such a simple, direct way that elicits and exposes what's going on in Washington in such a clear fashion. It actually is a wonderful thing that he is there helping us all from uh, the state of Louisiana. Now, I want to turn the page a little bit here from the economic and I want to begin both the end of this session and the next session on 
what also happens that has such a big impact, and that is the judges that get affirmed by the Judiciary Committee, and Senator Kennedy is on that. So here's an exchange between Senator Kennedy and a nominee for the Second Circuit Court in Boston, uh, Jennifer Song. It's a very important judicial nominee. And just to show how extreme the Biden nominees are, and this is important, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in the next segment of this program, but listen to this exchange uh, between Senator Kennedy and Jennifer Song. Did you really say that Justice Kavanaugh was a morally bankrupt person? Senator, as I explained, I did not write that letter. I did sign did it. You and read I, it? Take, I read it quickly, yes. And sir. you signed it? Yes, sir. Did you really say that Justice Kavanaugh, if he would was confirmed, would cause people to die? As I stated, Senator, I understood those statements were overheated rhetoric, but I understood them to be just yeah, that, but you said rhetorical. It. You said it, right? I did sign the letter, yes, Senator. Okay. Do you, do you believe that Brett Kavanaugh is a morally bankrupt person? Senator, sitting here as a judicial nominee, it is not appropriate for me to comment do you believe personally that, on well, you any said it. You said it. Do you believe that he's a morally bankrupt person? Senator, it is not appropriate for me Why to Why not? You said it. You're not going to answer my question? I believe I've answered it to the best of my ability. Honestly, Senator, I respect completely the confirmation process and the authority oh, of Justice oh, Kavanaugh okay. and every but, Supreme Court justice. But, but do you, this is real simple. You said just a few years ago, you weren't in law school, you weren't in college, you said Brett Kavanaugh is a morally bankrupt person. It's clear as thunder on a summer night. Now, you're under oath. Do you believe he is or not? How, how hard is that? You'll have much harder questions as a federal judge if you make it that far. I appreciate the question, Senator. As I stated, those statements were rhetorical advocacy that I signed as an alum addressing my law school alma mater, I did not... Well, let me, let me ask you about this rhetorical advocacy. Is, does rhetorical advocacy mean you said something, but now that you've been nominated, you're scared that you can't get the vote, so you're going to uh, try not to answer the question? Is that what rhetorical, ad, rhetorical advocacy means? What is rhetorical advocacy? Is it a lie? No, it's not a lie, Senator. I would say that it's statements that are made in service of an advocacy position. Let me jump in here to sort of interpret what just went on between Senator Kennedy and the judicial nominee, Jennifer Song. Notice the classic Democratic deflection, lies, distortion. She blames it on somebody else. She blames it on advocacy, so she can say anything in the terms of advocacy, and it's not her personal opinion. What they'll also say many times is that, well, that was my personal opinion, but won't affect my judicial opinion. What a bunch of crock. You heard directly a nominee for a significant judicial position that will affect laws of this land based upon her personal judgment, and she's willing to say, oh, I didn't really mean it. It was only supposed to go to select people. It was overblown rhetoric. It's not what I really think necessarily. 
uh, just go ahead and vote for me. This is the kind of person the Biden administration is putting into the most important judicial positions other than the Supreme Court. Well, let's take a break and we're going to come back at some other nominees of this Biden administration so that you get a full understanding of how ultimately extreme the Biden nominees have been. Be right back. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmv. HOF.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the third segment of Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. I want to turn from what I said before, and I stand by one of my favorite um, senators, uh, Senator John Kennedy, because of his very folksy way and his very direct way of getting answers to questions that people are afraid to ask. But I want to turn now to one of my second most favorite, and that is Senator Ted Cruz. Ted is a brilliant lawyer from Texas, Republican, obviously. He's run for president, and he is a national debate champion. So he comes at the interrogation of witnesses from a different point of view, not the folksy point of view, but the very direct questioning of a lawyer and a debate uh, professional. So I want to, in this segment, bring Senator Cruz in and his interrogation of potentially the third most important person at the Department of Justice the candidate is Vanita Gupta, an extreme liberal, an extremist, socialist, Marxist. And I want you to listen to Ted's questions. And then I'm going to cut out the fluff that goes along with an answer because they're non-answers. And that is a great way that somebody who is experienced in Washington has been through a nomination process previously knows how to avoid answering questions that are very direct and very simple, but they start to answer another question. That is a good political ploy that they always say in Washington, if you're a good politician and you get a question you don't like, answer another question, or just talk long enough that you will eat up the time that the senators are allotted to be able to probe into your background, your judicial 
philosophy. So I want you to listen uh, to Senator Ted Kennedy as he creates a preface for the problems that have existed in the Department of Justice, and then ask very specific issues of this nominee, Vanita Gupta. I think one of the worst legacies of the Obama presidency was the politicization of the Department of Justice during the eight years of the Obama-Biden presidency. The Department of Justice has a long history of being apolitical, of exercising fidelity to law, of not being used as a partisan weapon to target the enemies of whichever administration is in power. The Obama-Biden administration corrupted that process, and we are still dealing with the consequences. I believe appointees to the Department of Justice should have a demonstrated record of fidelity to law and impartiality, an ability to defend the rule of law. Ms. Gupta, as I look at your record, your record is one of an extreme partisan advocate. Your record is an ideologue. Now, there's a role in our democratic and political process for ideologues, for people that are extreme, radical advocates. That role, I believe, is not being the number three lawyer at the Department of Justice in charge of the impartial and fair administration of justice. As I look at your record on every single issue, the positions you've advocated for are on the extreme left, and you've demonstrated an intolerance for and hostility to anyone that disagrees with the extreme left political positions. So for anybody listening to this program that thinks this is just inside Washington, inside baseball, uh, you're mistaken. These nominees are going to have a substantial impact on my life, your life, your family's life. Just think about where President Trump nominated three people to the Supreme Court that saved this country from the liberal interpretations of changing this country away from our basic constitutional rights. Well, these people that we're talking about now are just under that level, and they're going to have a significant in input on rulings that are going to affect your life and my life. And in fact, they are being teed up to ultimately be nominated to the Supreme Court somewhere down the line. These are extreme far radicals. Now, I want you to listen to the questions and the non-answers. In fact, I'm going to cut out the mumbo-jumbo non-answers that really have nothing to do with the question. But I want you to listen to this stream of questions and that there, in fact, are no answers given to these very direct questions of importance. On the issue of abortion, is there any restriction whatsoever on an abortion that you believe is permissible? That's so you're declining question. to answer that. How about the Heller decision, which upheld the, the individual right to keep and bear arms, a fundamental right in the Bill of Rights? Was Heller rightly decided? Okay, so you're not answering that either. Court. All right, let's, let's shift to a different topic. Religious liberty. You've demonstrated significant hostility to religious liberty. You have defended the Obama administration's targeting and persecuting of the Little Sisters of the Poor. Not too long ago, religious liberty was a bipartisan commitment in Congress. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was introduced by then-Representative Chuck Schumer. It passed the House unanimously. It passed the Senate 97 to 3 and was signed into law by President Clinton. Now, today, today's Democratic Party has abandoned religious liberty. Indeed, 
the Equality Act, of which you are a vocal supporter that has now come out of the House of Representatives, is a radical piece of legislation that, among other things, explicitly repeals significant aspects of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to take away our religious liberties. You have been a vocal defender of the Equality Act. Do you agree with the provisions stripping RIFRA's religious uh, liberty protections from Americans? And comment a, a third on time, do you support the Equality Act's repeal of RIFRA's religious liberty protections. Department okay, so you're declining to answer that as well. Let's move to another topic, which is school choice. Your tenure at the Department of Justice demonstrated a radical hostility to school choice, such that the Department of Justice intervened in a case trying to kill a Louisiana school choice program there, even though many African-American parents strongly supported the, the program. The Black Alliance for Educational Options was fighting on the other side. The, the federal court at issue there specifically reprimanded the Department of Justice under your leadership for ineffective lawyering, that's a quote, and for attempting to, quote, circumvent the ordinary litigation process in order to regulate the school choice program without any legal judgment against the state. Do you regret using the Department of Justice to fight against the school choice program that was providing hope and opportunity to low-income minority kids in Louisiana? Well, of course... Ms. Gupta never answered that question either. But the important part for this audience is to hear the lack of response to direct questions with just going off on some talking points that they were trained uh, to give when they were before congressional committees, uh, talking about things other than the actual question, saying, yeah, they're going to apply the law as it is, that their personal choices, their personal opinions don't matter. We know that's a bunch of bunk. So I want to end this um, presentation and exposure of the corruption of the socialization of the Marxist attitudes that are being approved and in place in our judiciary system that's going to eat our country from the inside out. And I want to change gears now and go to another uh, presentation, an interchange between Congress and a nominee for another judicial position. Many of you in this audience have heard about the district attorneys that have been funded and helped to get elected by George Soros money in major cities like Philadelphia and Chicago and Los Angeles, where those district attorneys have the ability to decide who they'll prosecute and who they won't. So as a consequence, you can have murders, which just happened in the news today, where the district attorney in Chicago decided she wasn't going to prosecute. They were gang members, and they couldn't tell exactly who did the final shooting uh, to kill somebody, but it was just gangs killing other gangs. So she decided not to prosecute, and we're hearing that across the country. Well, it's now coming to Washington, D.C. nominees. And here's an exchange between Senator Ted Cruz again and a nominee for the second district located in Boston with a Rachel Rollins and how extreme this person really is. And he's going to lay it out in all the gory detail that you just won't believe. So listen carefully to this exchange. First of all, Ms. Rollins, in, in February, she was very candid that she came into the job of DA as a crusader. Here's what she said, quote, 
If you want to change the criminal legal system, become a prosecutor. Why? She explains why. Because you have, quote, the power to determine charges and what crimes to decline to prosecute. So that's what Ms. Rollins tells you matters about a prosecutor, the power to say, I won't prosecute these crimes. Well, surely she exercised it with reason and restraint. That's, that's what our Democratic colleagues on this committee are suggesting. Well, let's look in writing, and I will say this, this document, it is entitled Appendix C, SCDAO Declination and Diversion Policy. Boy, what an incredibly boring title designed to mask a horrific policy. I would encourage anyone, and let's assume you have political leanings. You're a Republican, you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you're inclined to believe the Republicans on this. If you're a Democrat, you're inclined to believe the Democrats on this. Let me suggest something to you. Go read this document. I'll read it yourself and then ask who's telling the truth. Because for all the Democrats say, no, 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 no. What do you mean she won't prosecute crimes? Let me read from the document she prepared. Okay, I'm going to jump in right here and uh, interfere with um, the presentation that Senator Cruz is putting on because I know what he's going to be talking about that's so important for this audience to listen to and hear all the details. And it is such a litany of accusations of truth, accusations of truth against this Rachel Rollins, who's going to have such an important position on the bench of the U.S. Circuit Second uh, Court, uh, Second Circuit Court, it is outrageous, and I want everybody to hear the details of this. And it's longer than the last couple of minutes in this program. So I want to take a quick break right here, and I want to come back, and we're going to go into the craziness of the people who are being nominated to important judicial positions that are going to be on the bench for years. And they're going to affect critical cases that are going to impact the lives of Americans. So let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Hello, Atlanta. Have you heard? Get your motor running, whether you're born to be wild or not, because on October the 2nd from 10 till 2 at Roswell City Hall, we're hosting a car show unlike anything Roswell has seen, benefiting St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and free to the public. Guests will enjoy an array of exquisite, rarely seen cars, boats, bikes, plus vendors with both automotive and art themes, along with local brewery from the earth hosting a beer garden, offering a lunch menu, coffee barista, snow cones, photo booth, and face painting. Fun for all the family. Register your motor anytime up to the day of the event at atlmotoringfest.org. And for more information, call us, 770-645-6844. We look forward to seeing you Saturday, October the 2nd, in the perfect isolated space around Roswell City Hall. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. 
I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment of Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and I'm Ron Bachman. So let's wrap up this final part of the hour with looking at, again, what Senator Ted Cruz is doing to expose the radical, I mean, truly radical ideas of people that are being nominated and will be elected through Congress to sit on a judicial bench for years. These people will be making rulings that will affect the the lives of you and your children in the audience. These are appointments that most people don't hear and see about. So I hope this isn't boring anybody because it is so important that we understand the radicalization of the judiciary under the Biden administration and the Democratic Party voting for people who just are so outlandish in their opinions and in their thoughts and what they'll do when they're on the bench. And in this case, we're looking at one of the worst examples of whoever would want to be on the bench. You would never want this person on the bench, yet they're going to be on the bench. And her name is Rachel Rollins. And her, her views are so extreme that I want to take this time to have Senator Cruz outline how ridiculously extreme this is part of a Marxist philosophy to create such chaos and to avoid the application of our laws, to give more emphasis on the criminal than on the victims or on the general public safety is a complete violation of trying to live up to the constitutional requirements of implementing the laws of this country. And yet they'll lie straightforward to members of Congress that they will apply the law, as, but they don't say as they see it because they have tremendous amount of judgment. They have a tremendous amount of flexibility in what they want to do. Years ago, we used to hear about jury nullification where people would get on the jury and would just not vote the way the evidence clearly would show. Well, now they've gone beyond that. Instead of worrying about juries and their 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 decisions. They're going directly to the judges and to district attorneys and not applying the law equally across the board. So here's Senator Cruz talking about this crazy judicial nominee that's going to get all the votes necessary. And her name is Rachel Rollins. So Senator Cruz, just read from her manifesto, um, her guiding principles of what she would do if on the bench or if she had the ultimate power to do what she wants in terms of judicial application of the law. Charges on the list of 15 should be declined or dismissed pre-arraignment, so even before the proceedings start, without conditions. So we're not going to put any conditions on it, no matter what, just get throw it out. We don't even, we don't want to see these cases. And in fact, the next sentence says the presumption is the charges that fall into this category should always be denied, always. 
So no wiggle room of, oh, just in some cases, always is what she wrote, even when attached to another charge. So if you have a multiple criminal, we just throw out these crimes. Basically, this is the prosecutor saying, I'm the legislature. Those pesky elected legislators that actually voted on the criminal code, I don't care what they say. I am erasing these crimes from the criminal code. Okay, let's see. Listen, there's some dumb laws. You know, maybe what she's erasing, I'll tell you, in Texas, it is still, I believe, a crime. Uh, Senator Corner may be able to confirm it to carry wire cutters in your pocket unless they protrude three inches or more. Now, that actually goes back to the days of cattle rustling. You had a prosecutor who says, all right, we're not going to have an aggressive wire cutter in the pocket carrying prosecution unit. I'd be good with that. So, so maybe the categories of crimes that she says are no longer crimes in my jurisdiction, maybe they're that kind of thing, the stupid things. Good point, sir. There are a lot of stupid laws that are on the books that should not be applied in reality. Things like you just said, they're, and they, they exist across the country. They're outdated, but once a law is passed, it's never taken off the books. So why don't we take a look and give the benefit of the doubt and have an open mind, as this audience should always have, as to what the 15 items that she's listed that should not be crimes anymore. Surely, surely those are innocuous kind of crimes that we should dismiss outright and we can all agree on. So what's what's the list? How does it start? Well, let's start. What's the first one on the list? Trespass. Okay, I want everyone to think about this. And by the way, what's interesting is this is not just in red states. I want the people of Delaware to think about this. People of Connecticut, the people of Hawaii, the people of California or Georgia. Do you want laws against trespass enforced in your community? Well, according to this individual that the Democrats want to make the top federal prosecutor in the state of Massachusetts, trespass is no longer against the law. Someone comes into your house, onto your property, no biggie, ain't a crime anymore. All right, what else isn't a crime? Shoplifting. You know, all of us have seen the videos, I think exclusively in Democratic cities, of shoplifters brazenly breaking into stores and stealing and stealing and stealing and running out. And why do they do it? They do it, for example, in San Francisco, because you have a prosecutor there who won't prosecute them. But this prosecutor says there is no shoplifting. Now, if you want to steal a bunch of stuff, this is your person. What else? Larceny. Larceny is not a crime. Remember, she said these should always be declined to be prosecuted. Larceny is on the list. What else is on the list? Disorderly conduct disturbing the police. I promise you there are a lot of moms that are not eager to discover that if someone is drunk and screaming and trespassing on their front lawn and urinating and defecating on their front lawn in front of their children and cursing at their kids, that, hey, according to the Democrats, not a crime, won't be prosecuted. And by the way, when that person comes back to your front lawn tomorrow and does it again, it's not a crime tomorrow either. Remember, always decline to prosecute it. So disorderly conduct is apparently not a crime. What else? Receiving stolen property. So it's good news. At least, at least she's analytically complete. The shoplifters can steal everything in the store. They can take it to the fence, and the fence can then take everything in the store. If you believe that, that theft doesn't matter, that's a great idea. If you believe in actually enforcing the law, that's insane. What else is not a crime? 
under the lawless administration of this supposed district attorney, driving with a suspended license. Well, listen, that sounds pretty mild. I mean, a suspended license, that's a technical thing, right? What's the most common area typically where people lose their license? For driving drunk. Where do you get your license suspended when you drive drunk? So if driving with a suspended license is not a crime, then apparently it it is open season for people who've had their license suspended because they're repeat drunks because they endanger the safety of innocent people, of children. They get in a car and drive. They get pulled over. You don't have a license. Hey, no problem. Keep on driving. Let us know when you kill someone when you're drunk next time. Senator, let me just jump into this list because it sounds absolutely crazy. It's almost as if the criminals themselves are being nominated to the positions of judgeships that will free them from any personal responsibility or the impact of their choices. And where's the voice of the citizens that need the protection against this kind of behavior? It's absolutely maddening. But Let's go back to the list. I understand we're going to next start with breaking and entering, that that's allowed. Give us the details on that. Stands for breaking and entering into, into a vacant property to sleep or escape the cold. Okay, that sounds kind of reasonable. All right, a vacant lot, it's cold, you're going there. All right, I, th- that, that actually on the list, you can understand the reasoning. If it's cold, you're breaking into a vacant lot. I, you know, I mean, it's vacant, there's not anyone there to be hurt. You can understand that one. And at least she has the good sense to say it's got to be vacant because that way no people, no innocent people will be hurt, right? Well, what's the next one on the list? B&E into a non-vacant property to sleep or escape the cold. Well, what's a non-vacant property like, I don't know, your home? So, So apparently what she's saying is if it's cold outside... It is no longer a crime for somebody to break into your home so they can trespass on your property. They can break into your home. They can commit larceny and apparently sleep in your living room. Now, I want each of you to imagine, look, there's an element of how would you answer one of your constituents if someone is doing this? And the answer from the prosecutor is we will always dismiss the case. What else won't she prosecute? Wanton or malicious destruction of property. I don't know about you, but wanton and malicious are typically pretty bad. Not a crime. What else is not a crime? Minor in possession of alcohol. Kids apparently drink like crazy, guys. Party when you got it. What else is not a crime? Marijuana possession. Possession of marijuana paraphernalia. But it's just the users, right? It's the low-level guys. Nope. What's the next one they don't prosecute? Possession with intent to distribute. So if you're a drug dealer, get yourself to Massachusetts. Now you've got someone who's just openly saying, drug dealers, come to Massachusetts because we don't prosecute people for possession with intent to distribute. Well, what's the next one on the list? Non-marijuana drug possession. So could be pot. Could be, I, I, I haven't studied the details of that crime, but I'm assuming non-marijuana drug possession includes heroin, includes crack, includes cocaine, includes fentanyl, PCP, LSD, all of those. I don't know, I would be kind of dismayed by a prosecutor who says if there's a drug dealer in my kid's school with a backpack full of fentanyl selling it to other kids, 
we're not going to prosecute them. On the question of do you support cops or not, the last one on this list is really incredibly revealing. Resisting arrest. Police officer goes, confronts someone who's violent. They're violent. They engage with them. They resist arrest. What's the prosecutor say? Man, it really stinks to be you. I'm sorry you chose to be a cop. But it's open season. Apparently, resisting arrest is now the standard way of interacting with the police in Massachusetts. This is lunacy. To have a sense of just how extreme this nominee is, I want to point to Art Acevedo. Art is a Democrat. He is a partisan Democrat. Art is now the president of the major cities' chiefs association. Here's what liberal Democrat Art Acevedo says about Rachel Rollins. Quote, people like Ms. Rollins are, quote, going so far that we're putting the criminal and their interest in front of the victim's interest. So I started these remarks by saying transparency matters. I assume moments from now we're going to vote and we're going to have a party line vote. Well, there you have it. The full explanation, detail of the type of people that the Biden administration is putting into high, powerful judicial positions that are going to make laws, decide who's going to be prosecuted, who's not. This is going to affect every one of our lives. And this is the kind of thing that stays hidden because nobody reports it. I want this audience to hear it directly. And you're going to hear more of the truth as we go through the coming weeks on the craziness, the liberalism, the Marxism, the socialism, call it what you want, that's taking over this country. And we've got to put a stop to it. So join me again next week as we talk about the truth and what's going on that's affecting your life, whether you want to listen to it or not. It's affecting your life and you need to listen. So join us again next week, please. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.